Welcome to Because I Want to Know, the podcast where I interview guests about their crazy, unique occupations or life experiences. I'm your host, Leslie Fear. So let's get into it, shall we? Hey, everyone. Today, I'm joined with Kathy McDaniel, and she had a disturbing near-death experience, and I was blown away by her story. I found her on Tonya Berg's Life Continuing podcast, and I'm so glad to have her on my show. So, Kathy, uh, let's get into this. Your story wowed me, and I've never heard a disturbing near-death experience. And before I say more than I need to, I'm just going to let you take the wheel and tell us what happened. Well, starting at the beginning, I had a very good friend that was uh, my fiancé for seven years, and we split up amicably. But he called me a couple of years after he moved to the East Coast and said he had leukemia, and he needed two caregivers that would help him up in Seattle at a research hospital. So, sure, I volunteered. I dropped everything. I went to Seattle and found us an apartment near the hospital. And he and his other caregiver came up and we rolled up our sleeves. So uh, it was supposed to be two to three months, but it stretched into almost nine months. And then the other caregiver broke her foot. So I was taking care of both of them. And uh, let me tell you, after that length of time, he was better, he was worse. He was better, he was worse. Mm. Then he died. And I was heartbroken and I was so run down and oh, it was just a terrible time. And uh, there was a a bad flu going around, very much like COVID, that uh, I picked up in L.A. And uh, by the time I got back, I was so sick. And uh, I got myself to one of the dock in the boxes. And they gave me pills, but I never made it to the pharmacy to get them. I was so sick. And so a friend had, I had called him up in the middle of the night and said, you know, I'm coughing up blood here. I'm on the third floor and no elevator. I can't get to the hospital. So he drove over and got me. And by the time we got back to the dock in the box, I didn't have a pulse. So they put me in an ambulance, went to the ICU, and I I woke up. And there's my family in from California and Colorado, and I've got an oxygen tent over my head. And I thought, what the, you know what? So they said, well, you've got something called ARDS. That's acute respiratory distress syndrome known as lung failure. We'll give you a 38% chance, but the only thing we can do is put you into a coma and then try every trick in the book we got, and hopefully you'll come out of it. Now, we're going to give you something called white amnesia, so you will remember nothing about what happens to you in that coma. It's going to be physically impossible for your brain to remember anything. Well, my head was spinning, and everybody's saying, oh, well, we got to do it. we got to do it. So I said, okay. My dad gave me a thumbs up, and it went dark. Well, all of a sudden, I became conscious. I was awake. It was pitch dark. There was no sound. And I thought, somebody has put me in a closet. And this isn't funny. Um, I waited because I didn't know if I was standing or, or sitting or laying down. And as I waited, I could see ahead of me, it was like getting a reddish glow, like the sun was coming up. And I thought, oh, okay, here we go. Yeah. And then it got lighter. It was a, a kind of a roiling fog that was going very thick, mm-hmm. covered my entire vision. Mm-hmm. And then I started smelling something really bad it got really hot and then this voice just boomed out of the darkness out of this fog do you know where you are oh my god oh my goodness this can't be good there's only one thing that comes to mind and i said help 
And this voice boomed back. Just like in a Bella Lugosi movie. I was freaked. I, I turned to my left and I ran into the darkness. I didn't care if I ran into a door, stepped in a hole. I didn't care. I had to get away from whatever that was. Well, this started a series of what would be scenes. And, you know, years and years later, this happened 23 years ago, yeah. I've heard several other distressing NDEers say they had the same thing happen. It was like segments. So my first segment is the light kind of came up, but still we had this red fog, but it wasn't as thick. But it was like a huge city like New York City had been bombed. There were fires everywhere. The windows were blown out. There's big chunks of concrete where buildings had toppled and uh, screaming. And, and, and I thought, holy, you know what? And I thought, well, I, I ran to get into the, like this little crack in a, some cement. And I thought, well, at least I got my back covered and I can catch my breath. Yeah. Uh, you know, having no idea, I was in spirit and just kind of huddled down, my mind racing. And finally, I saw what looked like might be another person over there in a, in a pile of rubble. And I just yelled out, you know, I thought, well, I'm taking a chance here. I don't know if, you know, there's been a bomb, if there's troops here or what. But I just said, hey, over there, I, I, I've survived. You want to get together? You know, maybe we could start a fire, look for food. And he interrupted me with a soulful voice that said, we are all alone here. Oh, I thought, that's not good. And then I heard this horrible metallic scuttling sound like a big huge spider or something uh on patrol and i thought oh crap it's aliens yeah. that's what happened you know they destroyed so yeah. it just went from bad my imagination was going crazy well there were other things that happened there were these beings that showed up out of the fog and stuff but i i finally had to make a run for it because i <laughs> my number one fear is spiders when that big thing went by in the shadow came over i thought i have to get out of here so i ran and I tried to scamper over the top of this wall, and I fell, and I was going to land on my back. So I just shut my eyes. I thought, this is not going to be good. And when I did, I was in another place. And this continued to happen. And each time, it was completely different. And unlike anybody else I've ever heard of in an NDE, I saw two living people in my journeys. And that was another reason I didn't think I was dead, because there were people. So I did see... A relative in one of these that was a person that was very prickly, hard to get along with. But, you know, one of these people, if you looked good, you were good. And it was a screwy situation. It was like a, a movie set for a beauty parlor. And she <laughs> told me I looked like hell and needed to sit down in this chair. And I just a little makeup, you know, maybe fix your hair. Everything will be fine. I says, everything's not going to be fine. You, know, you don't know what's going on here. So I left. And then as I walked out, boom, you know, up came the blackness and then boom, came another scene. Um, the first time I ran into a demon was uh, alarming. You know, I, I again thought I was still alive. So I thought, what is this being doing here? And there was just no other word for it. It was big and hulking and like a Bigfoot gone mean or something. And, and I just, I gawked because it was, I don't know, seven, eight feet tall. And I just stopped and looked up because I'm not very tall myself yeah. and stared at this thing. And it said, do you want to get out of here? In perfect English. And I said, yeah. And he <laughs> says, well, I've got a job for you then. And I said, a job. And he says, yeah, you get this done and I'll see to it. You get out. Are you in? And I said, well, yeah, sure. What? 
So he kind of waved his hand and the lights came up. As far as I could see was this huge blackberry field, as far as you could see. And the canes were all packed up on top of each other. I don't know if you've ever been in one of these things, but they interlace themselves with and they got huge thorns on them. Oh, yeah. And he said, all you got to do is just cut down that field and I'll see you get out. I looked at him like, say what? You know, wow. I, you know, and when where I live, I have cleared, you know, just patches of blackberries. It takes days and special cutters and gloves and and sacks to put this stuff in, and that's just a small one. It'll take you weeks. And I said, okay, sure. Yeah, I thought I've got all the time I can think of here. Right. So he hands me these little scissors that kids use to cut paper. <laughs> And I just took him and I looked up at him and he is just laughing, chuckling. He thinks this is so funny. And I thought, you jerk, I'm going to show you. I'm getting out of this place. This place sucks. And so I got down and now I'm getting all scratched up from the damn chains. And I'm I'm starting just to gnaw away at one of them. They're like, you know, an inch and a half thick. And and I finally, uh, finally I got it cut. And so I went to kind of put it behind me so I could go to the next cane. And when I turned back around, it had grown back. And now I looked up at this thing, and he is really laughing now. He thinks that's funny. And I thought, (laughs) okay, I'm going to show you, pal. And so I just turned back around to start cutting. I thought, i got nowhere else to go. And boom, the lights went out, and I was uh, somewhere else. Now, in between some of these scenarios, I was on this road, and somebody asked me, was this a yellow brick road? I said, no, it was not. (laughs) It was made out of dirt and crushed rocks, and, you know, it was not a good road. And it just went one way, and then it went the other way, and then on the horizon was that glow that was always there, but no stars, no moon, no nothing. And uh, no signs. So I just picked away and I just turned to the right and just started walking. And as far as I could see, it was like being on the moon. It was just nothing but rocks. And I thought, well, at least I'm not around dangerous people and objects and stuff. So I'll just keep walking. Now, the other thing most people will tell you is there's no time over there. Right. You know, the sun doesn't come up. You don't wear a watch. Right. Uh, so it just on and on and on. And when I got back and, and I was still in that debilitated state of just laying in bed, um, I tried to reconstruct how much time I would have been there. And, you know, all I could come up with was about two years. Oh, wow. Um, at one point, I was walking on this thing over and over, and the scenery wasn't changing all that much. And I thought, well, maybe I'm on a giant treadmill because <laughs> yeah. I don't seem to be getting anywhere. But then I did. I, I started smelling something really good. Oh, wow. And I remember feeling hungry and thirsty and tired and scared and depressed and all these things. But the smell of this food was just so enticing. So I kind of picked up my speed. And I came to what was very strange. There was a scene on the left and the right side of the road, just in the middle of nowhere. On the left, there was a a guy sitting in a chair. He wasn't somebody I really recognized. He looked familiar. But when I looked across the other side of the road, I saw a relative of mine, someone that I was very close to. She was young, and uh, she was a very good cook. And the tables around her were just heaped with these beautiful dishes. And I, I, I just said her name. And I said, gee, do you think you can spare just, just a small plate? I am so hungry. And maybe a glass of water. And she looked at me and blinked and said, this is for important people. Oh, wow. And I looked at her and I was hurt and I was shocked. And I said, oh, 
okay. And so I just turned and kept walking down the road. As I got further, it was obvious that maybe I wasn't alone. I I could see kind of shadow figures walking across the road, and there were, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 people on either side of it. And it was, I thought, well, they're acting strangely. They were kind of limping and bumping into one another, and their clothes were ragged. And and I thought, zombies was the only thing that crossed my mind. And I thought, this is dangerous and I'm afraid to get off the road because if I do, you know, I don't know what will happen. I, right. I thought, well, I'll just put my eyes down. I'll shuffle and I'll see if I can't just mingle and kind of, you know, weave my way through this crowd and get back to the road on the other side without causing any ruckus. Well, I got about halfway through and they all froze. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I'm not good. And then I could tell that the women, they had on longer rags and things covering their heads, kind of moved out to the periphery. And the men stayed where they were. So I I kind of picked up my pace, but one of them stepped out and punched me in the chest. And I fell backwards and bumped into another one who, who pushed me forward, and I went down on the ground. And then they all just attacked me. And, uh in ways that are not friendly or or wanted. And then they backed up after a while, and one of them leaned over, and I remember his face was coming apart at the cheek, kind of hanging, and and, uh, he smelled terrible, and he said, well, we all have AIDS, and now you do too. And you know what? You can't die. You're just going to get sicker and sicker, and he backed up. And then they all kind of wandered off. Okay. So I, I was sitting there and this woman demon came out from somewhere and said, okay, get up. You're with us. You belong to us. So I thought, oh, great. So I gathered my things and stood up and there was probably, I don't know, 10 or 15 other women that looked just about as bedraggled and ruined as I was. And we started following her and the scene changed to us coming out of a wooded area and there was snow on the ground and we kind of grabbed our rags around us and just kept walking. And walking and walking and walking. We walked so far in single file behind her that the snow was up chest high. I just remember that. And I thought, well, there's no way I can make a run for it now because I can't get through the damn snow. And so we just followed and followed. And finally, there was this cabin that we trudged up into. And she opened the door and ushered us all in. And there was no insulation. So the wind and the snow was blowing through. And we were all huddled together. And she says, well, now we wait for customers. And that, (laughs) yes. And I thought, that can only mean one thing. And I thought, how much worse is this going to get, man? You know, we were sitting on the floor and trying to huddle for warmth. And I said to her, you know, I don't know what it is. I'm getting just wrung out or what, but this seems like a particularly heavy, dank day. Is there something going on I don't know about? And she says, well, you know, it's Christmas on Earth, and that's always the worst day in hell. And I thought, hell, okay, yeah, I didn't want to look at that in the face, but there it was. And I thought, you know what, I'm not a quitter. And I just started singing a Christmas carol. 
And uh, she was on the other side of the room and she whirled around and held up her club and said, shut up. And uh, but there's all these women between us. And I just kept going. And I loved Away in a Manger. Mm -hmm. So it was Away in a Manger, no crib for his bed. And then the other ladies, one by one, they started singing in. And it was it was just our way of, uh, you know, fighting back and trying to be positive and she started you know screaming at us and then we got to the part where the little lord and i took a breath and she leapt like a spider from on the, across the room with that club and i closed my eyes oh, wow. and when i opened them again oh here was this bright light big huge bright light wow. But I was like swimming in love is the only oh. thing I can. It felt like every molecule of me was full of joy and, and love and peace and bliss. Just oh. no other word. Yeah. Just bliss. And everything that had happened before was just gone. Mm. And I was enveloped in this this joy. And it looked like a room. And when I started looking around, uh, there was my friend, the one that had died the oh. month before. And he looked great he had his hair grown back and it was brown instead of gray and and he was healthy his skin looked good and he was smiling at me and and he was even wearing a sweater i had given him and i thought oh my god he doesn't know he's dead and I thought, oh, I don't want to be the one to tell him yeah. he's so happy. Yeah. And and he just started laughing so hard, and I was puzzled. And I thought, what's so funny? And then I thought, oh, my God, he heard me, and I, I'm i dead. Thoughts, yeah. Oh, my God, that's great. Oh, my God, that's great. Everything had gone before me, and I'm there with my best friend, and I'm feeling wonderful. And I, I kind of caught out of the corner of my eye this great big table with a book open about halfway, big wow. book. And I thought, hmm. He was showing me something in there. What was it? I thought, oh, heck with it, you know. I said, come on, let's go exploring. I want to go see, you know. And yeah. he, he kind of got closer, but not close enough for me to hug him or anything. And he said, now, Mary Kay, that's what he always called me. Yeah. You've got too much left to do. Oh, wow. And I thought, no, <laughs> you have no idea. No. And I crossed my arm like a little kid, and I just stopped what I thought was my foot. Yeah. And said, no, no. And he just gave me a very sad look and boom, I was gone. Oh. But I think God gave me a timeout because I was really angry. And I was <laughs> <laughs> I was walking along this little cute little bubbly stream, you know, it was very lovely and flowers and stuff. And I met these three beings and they gave me things. All I can tell you, it was like a, a trousseau stuff, you know, and and they were speaking like what I thought was Scandinavian and I didn't understand a word, but they kept giving me stuff. So I'm hauling this crap all the way down this, this, <laughs> this street and I'm not happy. I'm just not happy at all. And I got to the bottom and boom, there's the white light again. And I think, oh, now what? And but I'm looking around at these people and I, they're vaguely familiar. And now they're yelling, yay, mom's back. And, you know, and they're all clapping and I'm just frantic. I can't move. Yeah. I can't move at all. I can't talk. I'm thinking, what fresh hell is this? Yeah. You know, and then my daughter comes over and plops down next to me and, and says, Mom, you've been really super sick. And we thought you were you were gone, but you're back and you're going to be just fine. Aww. And I thought. This is not fine. This is not my description of fine. Oh. And uh, she says, it's going to you know, take a little work, Mom. Um, you can't talk. You know, you've got been on a ventilator, and, uh, and they're feeding you with a nasal tube, and uh, you're, you only weigh 86 pounds, so you've lost all your muscle mass, and you can't move. But it's going to be great. It's just going to be we're here oh, for you. And I'm thinking, oh, oh. 
what? What? So yes, the doctor came in a day or two later and tested me and I could move one finger and blink. That was it. I had to start all over just like an infant. Um, they first they had to uh, try and fatten me up a little bit, but that not easy to do. Yeah. Um, I was in that ICU for a total of three weeks, then they moved me to uh, another room. I had to go through the thing with the insurance people to see if they would pay for me to oh, go to a rehab facility yeah. or if I would be stuck and die in a convalescent hospital. That was interesting. I had to really use all my powers of persuasion to talk her into giving me at least a month. And so I went to a physical rehab hospital for a month where they worked what was left of my ass off. <laughs> and and uh, I was in a wheelchair, you know, I was, oh, I was pathetic. They'd take me into the place where we'd eat and they'd have this big plate of like mashed potatoes and gravy, <laughs> potato, just all this food. And I, I could barely get a forkful of anything down because my stomach had shrunk and the smell of food just turned me off. And I'm here with all these people there. <laughs> diabetics and they've got a salad you know and they're looking at my mashed potatoes yeah, and gravy yeah. and plus I was like a stick and I was coughing all the time and I was yeah. just a delightful dinner partner <laughs> and uh, anyway I struggled through that month I had to learn how to walk crawl swallow oh, yeah. button uh everything everything just like a baby it was so humiliating I was a very independent person and I couldn't do anything. No. So no. my uh, boyfriend had come every single day. And by the time they threw my, my family out, they said, you know, you, you guys are babying her. She's got to learn how to do this herself. So they abandoned me. Mm. And he stayed. And uh, the doctor said, well, you, you can't really live alone. You could probably, my choices were go live with my parents at the age of 53 or maybe get married. So my wow. boyfriend proposed. Oh, wow. That's amazing. And of course, the nurses were crying. It was all a big deal, balloons oh. and all that stuff. But he was a real sport to take me on. <laughs> damaged property as yeah. I was. They weren't sure how brain damaged I was going to be. They thought I might be able to drive a car, but I couldn't ever work. You know, oh. that, it, was, it was pathetic. Yeah. Just pathetic. I was so angry. So Yeah, and you, you know, and I've talked to so many near-death experiencers, they don't want to come back. None of them have really wanted to come back. And that's, that's the thing. And, and just that love, especially when you had that experience. And we need to talk about that. Because I really think, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think a lot of that was more of an illusion. And that was your illusion of what you thought hell would be because of how you were brought up. Am I right? No. But that took me 10 years before I found an IONS meeting. That's where all the those wonderful dead people hang out. I love them. <laughs> and uh, they, I, I listened to their stories, and it started dawning, talking about, you know, manifestation and this and that. And they, they wanted to hear my story because that sounded like fun, because only, you know, like 17% mm, of people have the distressing ones, and they never got to hear those. So uh, – after 10 more years, so it was 20 years before I had figured out that, yes, it was because I was taught from an early age that there was heaven and purgatory and hell. Mm -hmm. And purgatory and hell were the same place, but at least you got out of purgatory. And nobody but Mother Teresa would go to heaven, and the rest of us had to have time in purgatory to have our sins burned off so we could go before God. Now, I finally figured out, you know, by talking to others, that that was a manifestation that I made up, just like mm -hmm. you said, 
I expected to go to purgatory and I wasn't disappointed, right. you know, and, and I took all the hellish experiences that happened in my life and I drug them with me and I pumped them up and made them even worse. And that was my hell. Ta-da. Right. So when I finally got all that squared away and wrote the book, it was with the understanding that I knew now what had been sent back to do. <laughs> One of the uh, other ladies, uh, Nancy Evans Bush, she's wonderful, has written three books, but but her understanding uh, was that I was one of the brave souls, the ones that go down into the, the depths, like in the ancient days of the, the Greeks and Romans, and bring back, you know, the, the lost teachings or whatever to help humanity, and, and that I chose to do that. We choose our lives. I chose that challenge, and I want to tell people, it's my job now to tell people that there is no judgment God does not judge anybody. Mm -hmm. God is pure love. He is all forgiving and all loving. And people get life reviews, but there is no judgment ever. Uh, so skip the trip, <laughs> ditch, ditch yeah. the whole manifestation of hell thing, and just go straight to heaven like you're supposed to. Right, and that's really hard for people who've been religious like me to wrap their minds around. Oh, but that's no, I what I do. And I remember on Tanya's podcast, you said, you know, a lot of people who were atheists went straight to God. And more people that were a little bit more religious did not. I, you know, I was pissed. I says, wait a minute. You know, I spent, you know, what, 50 years being a Catholic and, all, I, you know, I, I go there. And then people that don't even believe there's anything but the void out there, they go straight to heaven. So, yeah, it was a lot to wrap my mind around. But my folks, uh, other than my dad, my dad, he would listen to me. But my mom, my sister, nobody else. They wouldn't hear it. It was, it was, Kathy, you're wrong. That was the drugs. You know, uh, how can you say that? You know, you heretic, you heathen. You know, it was, to this day, I, I go to church with them just because it's an act of love. I don't want to, you know, right, right. my mom's 95, you know, she's got dementia. And uh, I just take her to church. And um, I josh with God, you know, me and God, we talk and, and, uh, <laughs> Uh, say, yeah, well, there's not near as many people in church as there used to be uh, yeah, because you know, people are, yeah. are trying to look at reality with uh, grown-up eyes, not childish eyes. No, that's a good eyes. way to put it. You know, and I, I do think that, you know, and hey, this is not a slam on religion because, you know, no, I, I don't want anybody, and I know that's not how you think. My experience. Yeah. It's just my experience. And God love you if you if that brings you peace and joy and all that stuff. Right. But yeah, and if people could just do more critical thinking and think about, you know, hey, listen, uh, just because you're this way doesn't mean you're right. And just because you're another religion doesn't mean you're the only one that's right. And that's kind of where my issue with religion is, because everyone's right and everybody else is wrong. And I just think it can't be that's not the way God works. And that's yeah. just not the way it is. And I do this podcast podcast so that I can tell people I have family members who are Catholic and um, there's that guilt and they don't understand and how can I be so sure and all the things and I just anyone who has any kind of religious background and you know hey that is fine that's a good moral compass for you to be within that's fine uh, it's when you get to the point where you're so afraid of anything else and in your way is the only way then you have to maybe take a step back and go you know is this really right for me now you know it's one of those things right for humanity is this is this working for humanity yes, yes. I don't think so uh -uh. Let me ask you something else, Kathy. Did you gain any abilities when you came back? You mean other than screwing up people's uh, 
electronics. <laughs> <laughs> We've had so much problems with this interview. We've had so much. <laughs> yeah, I, I seem to have this knowing sometimes when I'm around people. If they're in some sort of duress, people say that's empath stuff. Well, yeah. whatever it is. I, I had this thing for the longest time. I'd get on airplanes, and on the way over and on the way back, I would sit next to somebody, and I don't talk to people on airplanes. Right. They'd, you know, say, "Oh, hi, how are you?" With blah blah blah, and I'd say, "Fine, how are you?" Oh, I just came from my mother's funeral, and I'll never see her again. And it's like, no, here we go. So I would spend <laughs> two hours <laughs> on the way down there explaining what I had experienced. And oh, I'm telling you, twice these two ladies one each time, different airlines, drug me down to the luggage place so I could be introduced to their husband. And they said, oh, my God, I met this wonderful woman. I was so depressed. But, you know, mom's really in heaven. And the guy's kind of, you know, shaking his head. Yeah, thinking, what is going on here? But I had this happen, I can't tell you, 20 times at least. And, and with COVID, I haven't been flying as often. But, right, um, right. yeah, that was pretty trippy. I tell you, and I just love that you know so much detail from it. Because, like I said before, the people that I've talked to with near-death experiences, they remember details. It's not like when you're in a dream, you're like, oh, you remember it right when you wake up and then the day goes kind of past and then all of a sudden you're like, what what, what did I dream? You don't remember it. You write it down, all the details slip away. I well, know. no, as it was explained to me, yeah, I had the white amnesia and my brain couldn't remember a thing, but my soul right. remembers everything because right. that's where I was. I was using my soul brain, if there is such a thing. Yeah. So do you think though, I mean, let's just, let's just think about this. Do you think that because you had that experience and because maybe you chose to go to hell, okay, or you thought you were, you thought so much it was ingrained in you. I almost think that you had to go through that to get where you are now. I really think that that was something to help you and to help others, just like you said. Right. Yeah. If we plan our lives, I mean, that's the cool thing about being back. Number one cool thing that I can think of is that I no longer feel like a victim. Yes. I remember uh, when I had my first baby. She died when she was two days old. Horrible death. And I was so mad at God. I thought, how can you do that to yes. a little child? And I had a hell of a time going to church for the longest time. But now with the understanding that I planned all those things, and in particular that one, yes. uh, I gained such an empathy. I had two other girlfriends lose babies, and they, they could come talk to me because I knew how they felt. Yes. You know, that yes. empathy thing, every time we experience something, what we consider negative, we get an understanding of how that feels. And so when, when someone else runs into that situation, we can honestly be there, not say, oh, I know how you feel. And, and it's hollow, it's right. meaning, it's right. worse than the meaningless. So yes, I planned all that stuff. And I know when I get back home, I'm going to say, what was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> I think what happens is you're up in heaven and there's, there's no time. You know, right, and, right, and you're right. you're filling out your list for your journey and they have uh, supposedly uh, got a couple of guides with you and saying, well, yeah, you better add this or this doesn't match that. And then you have to go before uh, some council. They got to like put the stamp on it and the whole stuff. Then you get your, your visa or whatever and you get to go down to earth. <laughs> but, but I think, you know, we get down here and I'm 76 years old now and this is a long time. Yeah, I mean, it's been yeah. 23 years. I thought I'd get this stuff knocked out in a month and I'd go home, but it's not happening. And the other thing that is funny is when I got back, especially when I couldn't breathe by myself or anything, I thought, you know, what kind of cosmic joke is this? I've got too much left to do. But after I wrote the book, I thought, well, now what? 
you know, now we got COVID. I can't go to the library and drag 11 books with me and hope somebody buys one. I, I can't even do that. So, boom, here comes Kirsty uh, Salisbury from New Zealand. Yes. One yes. of the early uh, NDE podcasts. Yes. And she says, I got to have you on my show. And I said, what's a podcast? And, you know, and <laughs> so I, and she started the whole ball rolling. And then I found a podcast group you get on. and But I, I think my 74th. In two years, oh that's gosh. a lot. You know, uh, people found me. No, uh, um, yeah, you know, you know what, Kathy, you're spreading awareness, you know, and yeah, it just happened. Yeah, uh, you're spreading awareness, and you know, back to when you said, you know, you're up there and you're doing your soul and you're figuring out what you want to go through in your life. You're like, I would never want to die of cancer. I would never want to lose a child, or I would never want to have a parent that's not around much. But up there, you would, because you're in that perfect state of that. Sounds like really good for my soul. You don't have that ego of a person. You don't have that that ego of yeah. So why wouldn't you? But then people are like, well, you're just victim blaming these people. I get why they would think that. But, you know, God will not interfere if that is in your soul path. If you are supposed to lose a baby, he's not going to go, well, I'm going to make it okay if we pray hard enough. That's not how it works. You talk to me about that one talk. I, it's in my book. It's, it starts off, uh, hey, I'm, I'm praying like hell here and you've gone deaf. You know, I, <laughs> And this is happening. That's happening. And he just comes back with now, Kathy, he's very patient. You have free will. Yes. And and you chose all of this. And if I come down there and I take all those stumbling blocks away, then you're going to just have to go back and redo it again. You know, so no, I'm not going to interfere. But I am going to give you grace and strength to to finish your journey. Right. There you are. Have a nice day. So, um, yeah, that's kind of what happens. Well, I think that's why we're assigned angels and guides. I really do believe, yeah, I really do believe they help us, uh, nudge us. And if we don't ask, they don't know to give it to us because we have free will. So we have to ask for help from them. Like if we want a certain thing, just, you know, you try and, and, and say, hey, and if it's in our path or whatever, then I think they can help us. But I also think, like you said, God's not going to just magically make everything go away because you don't like it or don't like that situation at the moment. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. I know. No, he's not saying. Santa Claus. No. <laughs> no, <it's not. laughs> we try and make God, you know, human and yes. he, he just doesn't work in the same way we no. do. And no. when we get home, we'll realize that. And as somebody telling me one time, they said, you know, uh, you get almost this badge or something on your soul. If you go to earth, cause that's the toughest gig there is. Yes. People will come up and say, Oh man, you went to earth, man. I'd never do that. So you gotta say, okay, I'm a brave soul. Number one, just to even be here. Yeah, and yeah. I, I planned it all out. I've got my soulmates with me. We're meeting up like you and I meeting up today. We said up there, okay, we're not going to be in each other's lives a lot, but let's meet up at least once. So, yeah. okay, here we are. <laughs> yeah, here we so are. We, we, we decided to do this and, and we did it. And so if you look at your life that way, it's, oh, it's so much lighter. Yeah. Even though you hung up on me, Kathy. <laughs> I keep apologizing. I really don't do it on purpose. No, I can't help it. <laughs> no, and we just had the worst problems with this uh, particular podcast. Now I'm going to clean all this up so no one will know. But it was just so funny because uh, we lost connection and my side wasn't working first. It was just so funny. But you know, it all worked out because I love your story. I think it will help so many people, uh, regardless if they're religious or not. And that doesn't matter. I just want everyone to know you don't have to be afraid and I want everyone to know where they can find you your books and do you have a website everything okay if somebody wants to get a hold of me or wants to read my book the books on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or wherever 
Website address is www.misfitinhelltoheavenexpat.com. And if you want an autograph book, you can get it on, on that site. The book comes in a paperback and Kindle and Audible and CD and everything I could think of just so I could reach everybody. Right, absolutely. And you know what? I love the name of it. I love the name, Misfit in Hell to Heaven Expat. Where did you get the name for the Heaven Expat? Why Why that? Well, I, I was told an expatriate is somebody that uh, lives in one country and then they go to another country to do their work. And they usually hang out with other expats in the bar because right. I, I know one. And uh, <laughs> then when you're through with your work, you go home. So we are all heaven expats. I we all that. start in heaven. We're all pieces of God. We come down here, do our work, and go home. Absolutely. See, that's that was the best part. I love that. I think that is the great title. And I loved talking to you. You have been so entertaining. I don't think I've laughed this much in a, in a podcast in so long. Yeah. No, you are so much fun. And like I said, I could talk to you for three hours, but I love that you got to tell your whole story and what happened and how you came back and all the things that made you feel. Because like I said, we don't have to be afraid. We can go through these experiences and, you know, whether we're going to live out this life or go early, we chose it. We chose that and uh, we can't change it. Uh, we can only live as gracefully and as lovely with other people as we possibly can while we're here. That's right. And then we'll all be together again and we can start over. I know they talk about this reincarnation thing. And yeah. Sometimes I say, oh my God, how many times have I been here? <laughs> how many times do I have left? You know, I don't try not to think about that. Well, you know, when I, I'm a big believer in reincarnation because I think that we try to evolve for God. And I, I think what we do is he goes, okay, you go down and experience whatever you need to experience. And then I can relive it through you and see how you felt about that, Leslie, or see how you felt about that Jane or Doe or whatever. And, and you gain knowledge. The universe gains knowledge with all of our experiences. And we have free will. We can stay up there and never come back probably. But I think, I don't think we get bored or anything, but I do think that we decide, you know, I just... I think I want to try it again. I want to, I really want to work on patience or I really want to work on more empathy or whatever it is. So uh, I, I just think that's kind of how it works. I think so too. And I'm, I'm told sometimes you get a vacation life. You're one of those boring people <laughs> that just come and go and nobody even knows you were here. You live up in the woods someplace. You and know, and then, you know, I'm going to go to some of the other planets. I want to see what's in a black hole. Oh, yeah. uh, my, dad, my dad and I are going to get together. He was a pilot his, you know, most of his life yeah. and he died a year and a half ago. And, and I asked him, what are you going to do when you get on the other side, dad? And he said, fly. And I said, okay, well, I'll have to try and catch up with you. I want to tell you a funny story about how he has been communicating with me since he left. And I had an instance with my mother not too long ago. She's got dementia, and they named me Mary Kathleen uh, after my dad's mother. My mom wanted me to be called Kathy. She did not like my dad's mother. So uh, I've always been Kathy to her and then Mary to my dad. So anyway, I was down there a couple months ago. And I started to write my check out or something, and it said Mary on it. She says, well, your name's not Mary. It's Kathy. And she had totally forgotten, you know. And I says, Mother, this is terrible. You don't even know your own kid's name. (laughs) This is Mary Kathleen. I would never name you that. And I says, oh, all right. So anyway, I got home, and I was uh, kind of upset about it. And the next day, I got an email from my dad's email address. And the title of it was M-A-R-Y. And I opened it up. And it just said Mary. What? I know. 
And then at the bottom, there was like this weird email log that you know if, the, if you've clicked it, it was probably a scam thing. But I didn't click that. But all I can see, I'm looking at it right now, is his email address to Mary. And on the inside, the message was Mary. How long has your dad been gone? Year and a half. Wow. And he talked to me from the other side. My uh, publisher is a medium. And I met her at an IONS conference. Nice. And so shortly after he died, just a couple of days later, I hadn't told her. And we were negotiating something on our contract. And all of a sudden, she stopped. She's, oh, okay, who's Mary? And I says, well, I'm Mary. No, the other Mary. And I says, well, my dad's mom, why? And she said, oh, nothing. <laughs> and, um, and then she says, uh, did he have a sister? And I said, yeah, Virginia. Is she dead? Yeah. Yeah, why? Well, I got to back up a little bit. When he died at home, thank God, my mother and my sister had COVID too, so they let him out of the hospital to die at home. Aww. I had told them, now when you die, people are going to come get you. So look up at the ceiling, usually in the corner, and you'll see where they're coming. Well, he was dying, actively dying, and he all of a sudden, he was taking these little breaths, and he was kind of frightened, but he all of a sudden, his eyes went to the ceiling, and he got this great big smile on his face, they said, and his Aww. face just glowed. He closed his eyes and went. Aww. So... Back to my story. She says, so, uh, okay, Virginia, yeah, sister. And I says, well, what are you bringing that up for? Well, your dad's here. And he said to tell you that his mom and his sister came to get him. Oh. I said, oh, my gosh, that's so funny. That's great. And I said, don't let him get away. And she says, wait a minute, he's got one more thing. He's showing me an apple. What's that mean? And I says, apple? I said, oh, well, the last week when he's alive, all he could eat was a, my sister would slice up a Fuji apple just really, really thin, and he would just suck on it. That's it. And he, says, he says, he's smiling. He just wanted you to know that you knew it was actually him that was getting in touch. And so, oh, oh. I get all teary just thinking oh. about it. That, but what a lovely message. You know, they're, they're there. They're not gone. No. That's the other nice thing. Just knowing that nobody's gone. They're well, just right there. And I told you, I talked to my mom, and my listeners know that I kind of have the ability to talk to my mom. And, you know, just like Einstein said, energy never dies, it just changes form. And so my mom is now just the incredible invisible woman to me. I just can't see her, you know, but she's all around me all the time. She's just a superpower now. She's gained a superpower. <laughs> you know? Yes. And see how different your life can be with just accepting this stuff. <laughs> It's just a different way of looking at it. But no, I'm going to add all of your information in my show notes about your book, Misfit in Hell to Heaven Expat. And I tell you, Kathy, you have been so entertaining. I have really enjoyed this conversation with you. And my listeners are going to love your story. With you too. It's just, isn't it nice when you we click like that? Yes, yes. I mean, you're just delightful. And um, I so appreciate your time today. Oh, I love being on. Thank you. I got got my message out to s several more people. When I get everybody all ticked off, I got a little metal calendar of all these people I'm reaching. When I get to the last one, I'm going to drop dead and go home. <laughs> Well, I love providing because I want to know at no cost. So if you like what you heard, please leave me a five-star review or you can just buy me a cup of coffee. It's kind of like a Patreon, but you don't have a monthly subscription and you can give whatever you feel led to give. I am a one-woman show and I do all of my scheduling and my interviewing and my editing. So just know your support is so greatly appreciated. And one more thing, I am a paranormal romance novelist and you can find all of my books on Amazon. Just look up my my name. I'm very easy to find. Thank you guys again, and I will see you next week.